Hello and welcome to the Double Pivot, the world's most agreeable soccer analytics podcast. I am Michael Cayley. We are here. We are heading to the finals of the European Championships of 2021 or 2020, depending on if you are in a marketing department or not. And it has been an exciting tournament, and it has been a tournament that over time has grown up a whole... I don't know if people have been following this like on American Twitter and seeing what's going on, but Americans are getting into the football, and they are dropping some of the worst takes on football I've ever seen. Harry Kane is Kirk Cousins was just... I, I am in awe. If there are Americans here just happy dropping in on this subscriber niche podcast, welcome. We love you. We love your takes. We want to talk to you about soccer. I am joined by Mike Goodman. How, how has it been for you? I saw, my, my favorite take that I saw, I believe, was the reason that soccer is not popular in America is capitalism. Because in America, there is capitalism, and you can't put soccer on TV without commercials, as opposed to the rest of the world where that's not an issue, I guess, or something. <laughs> anyway, the music you heard on the way in is The Whalers. There's no Max on the other side of the virtual glass. Please download, subscribe, like us as podcasters. You know, you can tell that soccer is growing in America because the commentariat is all over the Euros. And it's like, not even, it's not a World Cup. Like, look, I work in soccer media. I'm very used to the phenomenon where every four years, a whole bunch of serious journalists and takesters, like, start following me on Twitter, and they're there for, like, June and July, and then through the course of August, they just sort of quietly unfollow me as they realize, like, somewhere in the second week of, like, me covering transfer rumors about the backup right back for Manchester United, like... I'm done listening to this guy. I don't need this anymore. The World Cup is over. But now we're like, it's like, you know, 3 p.m. on a Wednesday in the Euro semifinals, England versus Denmark, and people are just like dropping their takes left and right. So like, yeah, soccer's made it in America. Yep. Because like, it's not like if you follow English soccer Twitter, there aren't bad takes. Bad takes are like, part of a healthy ecosystem of fandom. Oh yeah, believe me. I got told that Jaden Sancho is not better than Saka because Sancho relies on Afram Hakimi for all of his production. Slight problem. Yeah, so I guess we might as well start with uh, England, for whom Jaden Sancho did not play, and who, like, there was drama, but they were clearly the better team over the course of the match. Yeah, so I, I think this is interesting in, in, in a few ways. I mean, basically, like, had England lost this match, the what you would have said is, like, England were clearly the better team, but they chose to play in a manner in which the kind of way that they lost one nothing is the kind of way they could lose. But they didn't lose because they were the better team. It's, it, it's interesting because, I mean, all right, so, like, obviously they concede very early on a set piece that Jordan Pickford's T-Rex arms could not reach. And then they equalize fairly, fairly soon thereafter. Interestingly, like, in the manner in which you would have said that this team is supposed to equalize, in which Kane comes deep, draws defenders with him, and plays a through ball in behind to the two rushing forwards who combine to create a goal, right? Yep. It is the manner that has not worked for them, this tournament. Because I think, as we've talked about, like, in the international game, 
when a center forward drop deep drops deep, usually the center backs are just like content to let him go. Um, but this was not the case here. Then after equalizing, though, they didn't. They, they they went back to being England, right? Like they went back to being pretty conservative, not trying real hard to get forward, making sure they were tight at the back. And again, it all worked. Um, but they man, <coughs> Gareth Southgate was just really reticent to do anything to change that dynamic. Yeah, and, and part of the dynamic of this game that I think is kind of interesting is that we saw this in Denmark against the Czech Republic, where Denmark were willing to concede space in the penalty area. Yeah. They were willing to concede that you can move the ball into the penalty area. They, 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 they didn't contest the top of the penalty area in the ways that we're sort of used to seeing teams do. And so England had, over in regular time, only 34 passes into the final third, which is like kind of an average-ish number for a team that is attacking well. It's nothing, nothing particularly impressive. But they also managed 16 passes into the penalty area. So when they moved into the final third, they were able to move into the penalty area. It took them a long time in buildup with this, you know, back six with very few good passers in it to move the ball into the final third. Once they got there, they were able to move into dangerous positions. And and this is where you see like those couple of very dangerous moves, the one the one to Saka that creates the own goal and the the move for for Sterling where he is uh lightly touched, but you know, if you're getting into the penalty area that much, that that is one of the one of the clear risks of Denmark's strategy. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't really feel the need to like really go over this penalty because England had the ball in the box a lot, especially, you know, as you go to extra time and they do then start trying to win the game, you know, they're applying tons of pressure. But my reaction to it was basically, it was a clear penalty situation with perhaps not an actual penalty at the end of it. Yeah. And it's kind of interesting in comparison to the non-foul on Kane, which was, like, really not a penalty situation. It looked like a guy getting clearing the ball away. But also there was tons and tons of contact. And he also stomped on Kane's foot in order to clear the ball away, which is, like, a foul. Yeah, like, I described that as, as, as Schrodinger's penalty. Because it, there is absolutely no way to differentiate that weird moment as to whether or not it is a penalty other than whether or not it is called a penalty. That's it. Like... And once that decision is made, it is 100% not overturnable because there is there is nothing there in the rules that you can work through to define that situation definitively one way or the other. Like, the Sterling one, there is in theory at least an answer there, right? It is very unclear how much, if any, contact was made. But, like, in a world of perfect information, you would know the degree of of contact that there was, and it would define whether or not there was a foul. The Kane one, even with perfect information, who the hell knows? England go to the final. England concede 0.3 XG. England are conceding, like, less than half an XG per match over the course of the Euros. Like, who's a better team than England? Like, it, they're in the finals. It's It's also hard to look at this tournament and say, like, oh, that was the team that's better than England. One thing that came up in this game a couple times is I thought that Denmark had some, like, Denmark had two ideas for attacking. One was set plays, and the other was they seemed to have what looked to me, at least, like some pre-drilled counterattacking patterns. Mm-hmm. And 
in both cases, England defended them incredibly well. England did a great job. Talk about Kyle Walker in that respect. I, I think that first, the, the, the set plays, there were a bunch of times that Denmark were trying to run. So the one time that England got, that Denmark got something off a set play was because England committed a foul trying to just hold on to guys running picks. Right. But England didn't lose players as, as Denmark ran a bunch of motion on set plays, which is not easy to do. We've seen most teams have gotten flummoxed by this over the tournament, and England didn't. But then also Kyle Walker. Yeah, I mean... Kyle Walker, and not just against Denmark, but in this whole tournament, has really had this sort of unique responsibility of being the extra covering defender back from fullback. And you don't see that often. And he's just really good at it. He's really fast. He's a good... He's a good defender when you're not asking him to uh, play in tight spaces in his own box. So when you are putting him into... Like, his strength as a defender is defending lots of space like it's not just athleticism it is an ability to use his athleticism quite well to sort of position himself at maximal aggressiveness without giving anything away behind him and England has just sort of taken a cue from Manchester City who use him in that way a lot and just sort of depended on him in a world where a lot of teams sort of try to like attack through a center forward by going long as being the extra guy to recover. And he's been perfect at it. Yeah. And, and Denmark had, had a couple of breaks that he just completely snuffed out, which were like really well-constructed breaks. And, but they didn't have an answer to Kyle Walker as this like sweeper fullback. Yeah. And I guess the, the criticism of England, right, is that everything that they did in extra time they could have just done at the hour mark or 65 minutes and they didn't does that matter kind of like you it would have been better had they done it earlier um but it didn't hurt them yeah i mean this is the thing with with south and i think this also applies to uh, starting saka again which is that there are certain things that he does that i think you could, are clearly suboptimal I think that he could use his substitutes more aggressively. He could start one of his better forwards than Bukayo Saka. But he does a lot else right. This team is extremely well-drilled defensively. This team has some attacking patterns that really work with, with, with Kane dropping in and making passes. Also, with Kane getting forward, he was, he was a very good progressive outlet one-on-two in a way that is um, not often been part of his game. And then the, you know, the combinations down the left with, with Shaw have been quite good. There's a lot that works in this England side. And so the fact that there's other stuff that I think they're leaving money on the table, like, you'd want to see them not do that. I think that in the final, they will do the exact same thing. I think that, you know, I'd be very surprised at this point if we don't see Bakayo Saka start the final. I'd be very surprised at this point if we see an earlier set of subs. He has not wanted to do that. And I think that those are suboptimal decisions that you can imagine a final where those are the margins that matter. But there's a lot of other margins that he is getting for the team. Right. And, like, it's a it's a plus managing performance with negatives in it. Yeah, I mean, you look at, you look at the, the decisions like Kyle Walker. You look at the way he has just sort of unleashed Raheem Sterling. Um, say what you want about his decisions with, with, with Sancho and Saka. And honestly, say what you want about... Um, Sterling versus Sancho, kind of in a similar vein. Like, just handing the keys to Raheem Sterling in attack and being like, go ahead and, you know, 
do peak Eden Hazard in terms of like blowing up defenses on your own and Sterling being like, all right, here I go. <laughs> like, I mean, you can't, you can't, f- that is a decision that Southgate made that before making it was not obviously correct and has absolutely proven out to be a really, really good way to approach things. Um, and like Southgate should get a lot of credit for that, I think. Yep, I, t- I totally agree. All right. Italy, Spain? Italy, Spain. So I think this was an interesting one because we talked a lot about exactly how the tactical battle would work. I was going to say, in parts of the match, we were right. In the first 10 minutes, I th- you saw Italy successfully working from the back foot into a press into transition. And then they were not able to keep it up after those first 10 minutes for the most part. And the, the, the two things that I saw in that are, one, I think there's a question of fatigue, but the other is that Spain's counterpress worked. Yeah. Not only did Spain's counterpress work, Spain's possession worked against the press. I think that was right. a big question we had going in was, like, could Spain sustain possession against the press? And they basically passed that test early on in the match. Um, you know, they came out of that period of the match with a significant possession edge. And when you're doing that, when when Italy's press is functionally just making Spain play six more passes before they get into the attack, then you really do have sort of a question of, well, is it worth doing that in terms of the, the energy drain of doing the press? If we are not creating chances for ourselves off of the press... And if Spain is not being, if Spain's counterpress is working so that they are not being denied possession, like neither of those two outcomes are happening, why should we continue to expend energy pressing them? Yeah, I, I think you saw this a little bit with, with uh, in, in Denmark, England, to a lesser extent, where when Denmark would occasionally spring into a press, occasionally they, 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 they broke up England's attack, but occasionally they got counterpressed, then suddenly England are in transition. Right. Which is like exactly the thing that you're trying to avoid. And I think Italy ran into this too. The other thing is that Spain made a, a key tactical switch, which is moving Danny Olmo in as a like true false nine. Like the, the thing we've seen Spain do, like the yeah, the, the Cesc Fabregas role, really, as, as a false nine, with Oyarthabal cutting in off the wing to give them an attacker in front of him. And that also, I think, really helped them deal with the press. Because it gave them really another passer in midfield. I can't help but notice that we're talking about how well Spain played and Italy are in the finals. But like that is what happened in this match, more or less. Yeah, because the question with Italy was, okay, what are they without Spinazzola? And the answer was a defensive team playing balls over the top to Insignia and Immobile. That version of Italy is not a bad team. But they are not nearly as good as Italy have been for the duration of this tournament. Yeah. And one thing I wonder for the final is, I think one question I had watching this game was, if this is the way you're going to play, why are you playing this very open, free-flowing midfield of Jorginho and Barella and Verratti? I thought Verratti had a really rough game. Yeah. Sorry, not Verratti. uh, Barella Barella, had a really rough game. Yeah, I mean, if you can't have one of those guys getting forward, I'm not sure what the other option is, like what, what, how, how you would want to see them be arranged, given the personnel at their disposal. I would just put Locatelli in for Barella. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, that's that's reasonable. I mean, the flip side of that is that, like, when you are playing Barella, Verratti, and Jorginho in midfield, how is it that you can't use possession to move the ball up the field, even without Spinazzola? Like, what... This was a team yeah. that chose to use Spinazzola as their primary means of attack, which I thought was smart and worked really well, and you had these midfielders complementing him. But when you put those three guys out there, those are three very good passing midfielders. And the idea that you don't, that these guys, and look, again, not club football. You know, a lot of a lot of these teams, right, you train one way to play. You guys all play together, and we're going to play this way, and this is what we do. And Italy's way was very good. So maybe the answer is like, look, you just you can't just throw three good passing midfielders together and expect it all to work out. Um, but if that's the case, then there's no point in playing those three good passing midfielders together when you need more defensive stability. Yeah, I think that's right. And, and watching Spain, on the other hand, tweak their system to play possession in a different way. Yes. It was really impressive. Luis Enrique had a great tournament, man. He, he really did. Now, I, I will say the... The, the problem with that, and it was how Spain lost, or, well, no, it wasn't. It was how Spain conceded the first goal, um, is that they don't have good center backs. So yep. you are playing a position, a, 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 a system in possession, um, and especially when Jordi Alba's on, on, on the field and starting, which he did all but one match. So he's getting, or two matches, one or two. Anyway, so he's getting way upfield. Um, you are playing a, 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 a match that will leave your center backs with work to do. And if they're not good enough, they're going to concede. And that's what happened. Um, like, pretty purely. Like, there, there wasn't anything much about Italy's goal other than center backs were not able to cover the space in behind possession. Yep. It was, a, it was just a long ball to Immobile. And two on one, they weren't able to get it. And the, 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 the you know the, the poor clearance falls to Chiesa and then again two on one they aren't able to, to prevent him from getting a, a, lane, a, a lane to shoot a goal from so Spain did have this weakness and this weakness does end up costing them yeah and and Italy at the same time like Italy go up and then their center backs get badly exploited on a really pretty simple uh, one two combination to the middle and Chiellini just like takes him for ever to pivot and turn and Murat is by him before he, he can yeah part I think part of what's going on there is like Italy have good I mean these guys are really like professional smart defenders but at this point Benucci and Chiellini are so physically limited that if you're not playing in compact spaces and again this was part of the Spinazzola deal which is that by working through Spinazzola those two center backs were always protected by a midfielder and a right back to keep them in compact spaces and when they the moments when they are you know pulled out of that they are just they just don't have the physical range to change direction and cope in ways that they would need to. And I think it's interesting sort of throwing forward and thinking about what that looks like against England. You know, are they just going to be compact so that Sterling is going to be trying to wriggle between tight spaces in a way that plays into Italy's hands? Or is Sterling going to pick up the ball on the wing and be able to just sort of rinse them? Because there's enough space that Sterling's skill sort of comes to the fore rather than them being able to sort of gang close up on spaces and keep things tight. I sort of see advantage Sterling, but I think you can make arguments for both of those cases. 
The other thing that I think is that uh, an Italy system with Jorginho at defensive midfield is not a system that's going to deal well with Kane dropping in. Yeah. There's not like a Delaney in this team who can really try to blow that up, and they certainly can't follow, have a center back follow him. Yeah, Jorginho, like Jorginho's, he sometimes gets a bad rap for his defending. He's a guy that is more or less in the right places and does a lot of defensive actions and then occasionally gets physically blown off the ball, right? Like, that's that's Jorginho. So the, the things where he's bad are incredibly, visibly, center camera bad. And, like, a recipe for a guy, a guy who's in the right place but gets physically blown off the ball having to pick up Harry Kane is not really a recipe for success. Exactly. Like, I struggle to see... Italy, unless they do something new, handling England well. I think that the main thing that could beat England at this point, there, there, there's really two things. One is something new from Italy, and the other is variance, which they still have yet to be beaten by, despite uh, thumbing their nose at it through the whole tournament. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, you don't... <laughs> all you need to do is look at the semifinals to point out that, like... Italy playing like Italy and being on balance worse than their opponent does not mean Italy can't win, right? I don't have a lot of hope for this match being like a gripping spectacle, but it just seems to me that England are more, you know, have a better distribution of talent, are more talented, and will be more able to grow. Like, I like one way you can just kind of look at this is like Kane is better than Immobile. Sterling is much better than Insigne, and like, I, like, I don't know, Saka, Chiesa, different, but it's not clear that one is better than the other. And then you look at the back, and I know people are going to want to say that Chiellini and Benucci are better than England at the back, but like, this tournament, and at their current ages, Harry Maguire is the best center back out of the bunch. Like, I don't, I don't think it's particularly close. It's not. Chiellini and Benucci were, at their peaks, better center backs. Yes. But they are not those players anymore. And, like, seriously, watch that Murata goal and tell me that those are center backs that you trust playing at the highest level at this point. Yeah. And, like, I don't know. Like, I guess if I was, if you were to say to me, how does England lose? My answer to you would be John Stones, Mitch judges a ball. And Pickford is unable to make a save on a shot that is potentially saveable, right? Like, that's the axis on which England lose. But they haven't... I mean, Pickford made his first one in the semifinals, his only one of the tournament, and Stones has been incredibly solid all tournament. So you, while you might suspect that these are weak points, they have not evinced themselves over the course of this tournament. And, like, yeah, stuff can happen in a soccer match, but I, there's, there's no reason to think it will. Yeah, I, I mean, I think, and, and England set themselves up to prevent those things from happening. The, 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 the cover from Walker, the double six on defense, the absolute refusal to commit more numbers forward in possession, all of these make it really, really hard. I think I was saying my, my favorite stat of the tournament so far is that England, despite playing more matches than anyone else, have conceded the fewest shots from direct attacks. And that is what Italy are going to be trying to do. I, I, I struggle to see a world where the plan is not Immobile and Insignia over the top. And Immobile is a very good over-the-top forward. 
That's what he does for Lazio. That's what they're going to try to do. And you can imagine it working. He's good at it. He does it against teams that know he's going to try to do it, and, and he can still get it done. But Italy are going to be going right at the thing that England are set up more than anything else to prevent. Yep. I mean, yep, that's, that's just the answer. I, I don't... This would have been a fascinating match if Spinazzolo was healthy. I know, man. Fast, absolutely, fast. really, really would have been. Um, like a Spinazzola versus Walker battle on that flank would have been fantastic. But without this, it's two grindy teams. One of which has grinded its way to being the best in the tournament, and the other of which, when forced to grind, was worse than Spain. Like that's that's what we have as a final. Yeah. So I am. I I I live in hope. That, that Roberto Mancini will come up with something else that leads to a more dynamic match. Yeah. And but I doubt it. I doubt it. And, and, and I sort of look at this team and I look at the, uh, the excellent job Mancini has done. And it's been a fascinating tournament for managers. It really has. Um, but the thing that Mancini has done is develop a system implemented excellently which fit the talent he had. It's The, the thing he has not done, unlike, say... Denmark or Spain has been demonstrate flexibility with talent in a way that exploits opponents. So. Yeah, so I think it's probably coming home, but soccer has an incredibly large amount of variance in it. I think it's probably coming home. All right. Cheers, y'all. Cheers, y'all.